is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the dark room. This time out, we're going to take another road trip and go to the theater and watch Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace in 3D. Now, I know a lot of people have uh, been ripping on this movie lately uh, because when it came out in 1999 as the uh, first story-wise in the Star Wars series, and we all know it was the fourth movie made, but it was first in order, um, and it came out in 1999, which was 16 years after Return of the Jedi, so it took 16 years between the the third movie, which was the sixth movie in order, Return of the Jedi. And it was the first movie that George Lucas had directed in 22 years. So uh, a lot of people um, don't seem to be happy with a lot of The Phantom Menace. Um, I've heard uh, people complain about Jar Jar Binks and about the pod race being too long and that the little kid that starred as, as um, Anakin Skywalker... Uh, Jake Lloyd, I think his name is, um, was really wooden and not not a very good actor. I can agree with a lot of that. Jar Jar was kind of annoying, but I can see um, who he was meant to appeal to. You know, these movies are directed at kids. And when I saw Star Wars um, New Hope when I was a kid, when it first came out, I... uh, you know, I that was the greatest movie I had ever seen. So, and I was about twelve at that time. So, um, it was it was aimed at me, and it hit me, <laughs> and it grabbed me. So, um, I can see how kids nowadays would probably be grabbed by some of the things in Phantom Menace that older viewers who grew up on the first trilogy uh, might not be fans of. But I remember in 77 going to see Star Wars, A New Hope, but just Star Wars at that point when we were kids at at, um, a 15-screen theater by our house. And I remember the first time we went, it was sold out, so we couldn't get in to see it, and we had to come back. I think it was a week later we came back because we had like a movie day that we would go to the movies on, like a Thursday or Saturday or something. And we came back the next week and got in. I think the same thing happened with Jaws. When we saw Jaws, I think a year or two earlier, um, we went and it was sold out originally. So we couldn't get in and we had to come back. That's how popular these movies were when they first came out. So um, Lucas directed the first one in 77, which we know is episode four. I guess the next movie he directed was Phantom Menace. 
Don't quote me on that, but that's what I'm getting from what I've read online. Now, uh, as most people know, the story jumps back in time, and we get to learn how Anakin Skywalker grew up to become Darth Vader. That's basically the gist of the, or focus of the prequel trilogy, at least. So after seeing, you know, New Hope and Empire and Return of the Jedi and, and loving the Darth Vader character because he was so tough and cool and everything, um, you get to go backwards in time and learn how Anakin became Darth Vader, which I think is a neat idea. And I think it's, I'm happy that Lucas made the first three, the the second three, I guess, the prequel trilogy, because you get to see more of how... Um, how uh, the new hope kind of you know happened how things got to that point so um, though a lot of people aren't happy with it i'm excited to see this movie tonight um, hopefully it's not sold out it opened yesterday so i don't know you know what the response is going to be and everyone complains about phantom menace but you never know maybe people will show up to see it of course uh, i've said before my favorite jedi is introduced in this movie and killed in this movie. <laughs> so it's like, like I've said, it's just like Kingdom of Heaven where Liam Neeson shows up and is great and then he dies and then you wonder why they didn't keep Liam Neeson in. But um, Gwygon Jin is his uh, name and he's a Jedi master and he is actually Obi-Wan Kenobi's master. And of course, my second favorite Jedi of all time is Yoda. You know, because he's the coolest Jedi, I think. I never really uh, cared for Mace Windu, um, Samuel L. Jackson's uh, Jedi, but uh, he's very popular, I know. But for me, it will always be Qui-Gon, Jin, Yoda, and then the original Obi-Wan, because the new Obi-Wan doesn't really grab me. Um, I think he's the, he's a good actor, but um, Ewan McGregor's a good actor, but I you know, he doesn't grab me as Obi-Wan Kenobi. So anyway, um, I'm going to go see the movie. I'm going to give you my thoughts on the 3D. I'm not a huge uh, 3D fan, although I don't have a lot of 3D experience. I did see House of Wax, the Vincent Price version in 3D at a local um, theater uh, a few years ago with the, um, with the, not the anaglyph 3D glasses, the polarized ones. And it was it was good, and the 3D in that was very gimmicky, like they had a paddle ball coming at the screen. And but it was fun. Um, it did work, but um, my eyes really bothered me with that movie. Like like it was too dark. I thought you know I couldn't see the screen very well, and my eyes got really tired. Now I did see uh, at our local zoo, at the Detroit Zoo, a 4D movie, <clears throat> which was 3D, but then the seats, the backs of the seats have these air blowers and misters in them. So um, when things would happen on screen, like, you know, dolphins jumping out of the water, you would get wind blown in your face and you would get uh, misted as if you were, you know, the water was coming off the dolphins. <clears throat> and I have to say that 3D, there were no glasses. Oh, no, there were glasses for that. But they were they were really thin lenses and not, you know, the polarized part was really light. And that 3D was fantastic. And the 4D effect was really cool, too. So I'm excited about this because, um, you know, the projectors at the theater that I saw uh, House of Wax at, I'm sure you know, they're older. It's a, you know, it's a 40s theater and and it's a, uh, it's a, a you know, a, not pro a nonprofit organization, you know, that runs it. 
and so I'm sure their bulbs are probably stretched as far as they can use them, you know, so that just to save money. So I'm hoping that this, this theater, which is in the AMC chain, will have, you know, better projection equipment. So I, I am excited to see it. But again, I don't have a lot of 3D experience. I did see Friday the 13th in 3D back in high school at a drive-in. So it wasn't in 3D. <laughs> and then I saw it later on Showtime or something as a kid on cable, again, without the 3D. So it was kind of weird seeing stuff moving at the camera, you know, and I could see where the 3D parts were supposed to happen, but I wasn't seeing them in 3D. So, you know, and I remember seeing Jaws 3 in 3D on cable <laughs> and the shark would float at the camera and I would think, well, in 3D, this might be kind of neat, but without 3D, it just looks really um dead you know like the shark's just floating so uh, I'm hoping this will be a better 3D experience and I'm excited because I'm hoping um, when they do Dawn of the Dead in 3D the uh, George Romero version which they've talked about for a while I want to go see that so this will determine whether I'm going to be excited to see that because uh, I am kind of new to 3D you know in terms of going to a real theater so I want to see what it's going to be like because, like I said, my eyes really bothered me in the House of Wax 3D. So we'll see how this goes. But um, after the movie, I'll report back, and then I'll give you know, a synopsis of the movie and things. I'm sure most people have seen Episode 1, Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. But uh, I'll still give a little brief overview just for people who haven't seen it. Because, you know, there are younger kids who haven't seen it. And there are people who you know aren't Star Wars fans who haven't seen it. But I'm hoping that this 3D really... Um, kicks butt because the pod race did seem long to me when i saw it originally i didn't mind jake lloyd's acting i thought he was pretty good for a kid and the fact that he was playing anakin skywalker you know added to it to me jar jar was kind of silly and the gungan i think um his races um they were kind of silly too but i, I could see they're kind of um cartoonish so we'll see how it goes I, i'm excited to see it and i'll uh, i for sure will let you know how it goes master qui-gon more to say, have you? With your permission, my master, I have encountered a virgins in the force. A virgins, you say? Located around a person? A boy. His cells have the highest concentration of midichlorians I have seen in a life form. It is possible he was conceived by the midichlorians. You refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the force. You believe it's this boy? I don't presume to. But you do. Revealed, your opinion is. I request the boy be tested, Master. Oh. Trained as a Jedi, you request for him, hmm? Finding him was the will of the Force. I have no doubt of that. Well, it's 1.38 in the morning, and the readout in the car says it's 21 degrees out, so... Brr, I'm sitting here freezing, waiting for the car to warm up a little. Uh, um, first thoughts, um, the 3D was really good, but it did really tire me out a lot. My left eye especially was very tired from the 3D. So maybe I'm the type of person that can't handle the 3D very well, I don't know. But there were things that were really well done 3D wise and then there were other things I couldn't focus on as well. Whenever there was text on the screen like subtitles or the the opening 
um, text that moves through space at the beginning of every Star Wars movie. That looked really good. But there were times when um, it would go in and out of 3D. Like, people would be standing there talking, and it would be very 3D. And then an action scene would happen, and it would be very, very flat. Like, it's almost like they didn't have a lot of time or something when they were doing the 3D process. So everything didn't get the 3D treatment just here and there. And it would be surprising because there would be an action scene that you would think, wow, or a a scene in space where um, the ships are moving through space that felt really flat. And then suddenly, like I said, there'd be three people in the cockpit of a ship and you could see this huge depth between them, you know, like the 3D was really good then, but not at other times, you know. So it was it was interesting when it would come in and out, you know. But I, uh, overall, I like the movie as much, if not better, than I did, you know, the first time I saw it in the theater or the multiple times I've seen it since. I think Jake Lloyd's acting was better than I expected, you know. Um, I think he was, for a kid, I thought he did a really good job, you know, uh, after seeing it years ago, originally when it came out in the theater, and then watching it on TV, I started to buy into the idea that he was really bad and really stiff, because that's what everyone says about him, but I didn't really get that today. I, I thought he was pretty good. I thought, if anyone, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi was a little stiff. You know, other than that, I and so was... Um, the queen i can't remember her name now i'm i'm half frozen here in the car but um it's like she was really stiff too so those two seem to be really trying to to hold back in their performance whereas i thought jake lloyd was really good i don't know you know to me i thought he did a good job especially for a kid and i i felt you know when he when he had to leave his mom on tatooine you know, after they had won the pod race and uh, he was free, I really felt for him, you know, having to leave his mom. So I, I thought he did a good job. You know, child acting is always hit or miss. And I think for the most part, he was pretty good. And the pod race actually didn't bother me this time. I thought um, the 3D, although it wasn't super 3D most of the time, you know, there wasn't that much depth in a lot of it. But uh, I I thought it held my interest um, more than than in the past. I think definitely seeing this movie on the big screen really helps it because um, it um, it didn't you know it grabbed me when I first saw it in the theater, but the subsequent viewings on DVD um, have been good. But you know I didn't love them. You know I think Liam Neeson is has since I saw this movie the first time has been one of if not my favorite um, Star Wars character and I think he did a great job today and I really <laughs> when he was killed um, it uh, it uh, was shocking um, as you know, as shocking as the first time I saw it so uh, I thought it was really good I mean um, it was interesting because it was a 10.50 p.m. showing 
and I got here at probably 10.40, and uh, I was surprised they gave me a, a some type of toy and a sheet of stickers and some Darth Maul 3D glasses, collector's glasses, supposedly. And uh, so that's kind of fun. It makes it feel a little bit more like an event, you know, especially since it was $12. And I think here, um, I think the average movie is 9 which... As I've said in the past, I don't get to the theater very often, and when I do, it's usually at a dollar theater, like a Cinemark that we have around here, or I'll go to um, um, an older theater, like the Redford Theater, that I went and saw It's a Wonderful Life at, where that was $4 to see that. So um, I'm not used to paying full price or above full price for a movie. So it's a little shocking uh, for me you know, to pay $12 for a movie because, like I've said in the past, I pay $2 a DVD or if I buy 11 of them, I get 11 for 20 so I get them for less than $2. So I could have bought six DVDs for what this movie cost. So it is a little pricey for me, but I think the experience was worth it. I thought the 3D was great. The previews in 3D were actually better than the 3D in Star Wars, I thought, um, but... Again, I think most of the things that they showed previews for that were 3D were originally created in 3D, whereas this was the post-process because this uh, was made before the the recent uh, 3D um, evolution, you know, where with like Avatar where 3D has gotten so much better. But like I said, my eyes are killing me. I'm falling asleep because the, the glass has really made me sleepy. You know, is what I'm assuming because the image was bright. Although, excuse me, it's funny because the images on the previews were much brighter than the images in Star Wars in Episode One. So maybe it is something to do with the brightness of the image that really gets my eyes. But uh, I was falling asleep. You know, I'm sure it's a combination of <laughs> the movie started didn't start to like eleven fifteen, eleven twenty. You know, so it's late already, and uh, I haven't had that much sleep lately, so I'm already tired, and then the glasses are working on my eyes, so I think it was a combination of things, you know, so I can't blame the Star Wars for it, but I, I have to say, I think George Lucas did a great job. I thought the directing was really good in this. I'm not usually a, a type of person that looks at the directing to me, the direction, uh, I usually am I'm more caught up in the story or focused on the story and the characters. And I think, if anything, Lucas could probably be accused of um, caring too much about the characters. Like Jar Jar Binks and the, the whoever the big boss was the, of the Gungans. Um, he really went overboard on making them, you know, these, you know, old, larger than life characters and... Uh, and giving them all these lines and uh and I didn't I didn't mind Jar Jar that much in this version, you know, with the three D and the on the big screen again. It didn't bother me. Um I don't know. I, I thought most of the complaints that I've heard about it didn't really um didn't um uh, occur to me tonight. The only thing that got me is like people have complained that it's very talky 
and they go into a lot of explanation of things. And it did get a little talky, and I started to nod off occasionally just because, you know, like I had said, a combination of all these things being tired and late and everything. So I can't blame the movie for that. But one of the main complaints everyone has is how the Force was really vague in the the first three movies. And in the prequel, they go into the Mitochlorians and how, um, you know, they, the Mitochlorians live in every cell of every living thing and they bind us together and all that and they 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 are the force or create the force and i liked that i don't know i it gave you a little more of an explanation because in the the original 3 you know they didn't really have time to go into it because everything was rushed because they were trying to fight the empire whereas this you know it hasn't happened yet the the empire hasn't hasn't been created yet so you know, Liam Neeson or Gwygon can, can, he's teaching, that's his job is to teach Anakin. So, you know, it makes sense that he would explain what the Force is. Whereas in the originals three, they didn't really go into that. The only two people that really, well, three that were even talking about the Force were Obi-Wan, um, then, um, someone's driving through the parking lot, it's all icy here, were Obi-Wan, um, Luke, and Yoda. And, you know, it didn't seem like it made much sense to talk about, you know, mitochlorians and that because it was, you know, it just had to do with we have to kill um, Darth Vader and Darth Vader wants to kill Luke and Obi-Wan and, you know, there wasn't really much time to go into explanations of what the Force really was. So, you know, so I don't mind the mitochlorians being more important in, in these three movies. I think that's kind of nitpicking, if you ask me. But I think overall, I think George Lucas did a great job. I had a lot of fun watching it, and uh, you know, it recaptured the spirit of of seeing Episode Four years ago in the theater when I was a little kid when it first came out. You know, I I wouldn't say it's as good as Episode Four, but I don't think any of them are. I hear people rave about Empire Strikes Back, and to me it's not as good as star wars episode four new hope and jedi definitely isn't as good as as star wars but how could it be you know that was like the godfather or jaws it's it's one of the best movies i think of all time and it just did it all right you know how can you hope to do that you know (laughs) how you make this perfect movie and then people expect you to do it again for the sequel and then for the second sequel and then do it three more times for the three prequels i don't know how you do it you know i think if people didn't compare the prequels to a new hope i think they would think it's a good movie or they're all good movies so i think part of what the problem is is lucas constantly gets his work compared to star wars the original star wars and I don't know how you can fault him for not making start making you know a new hope six times. You know how can you expect someone to be able to do that? Like you you know you could say a new hope was like catching lightning in a bottle, and uh, I don't know how you can expect to do that six times. It's just like the Rocky series, you know. Rocky one I would put up there with uh, Godfather, Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, um, was it Godfather, Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and damn, I'm trying to drive and talk now. Um, 
but you know a jaws too and jaws not jaws too jaws the original but i would put them all together and you know so i don't know how you like with with uh, rocky you know people will say one is really good but uh you know two is okay and then three is not as good but four is good and you know five is crappy and you know it's like well how do you expect Sylvester Stallone to make these movies perfect every time you know he made Rocky that's enough and then the rest it's just fun to see the character again you know to be able to visit with the character so I don't know I don't know what you expect from these people you know (sighs) so there so that's my defense of George Lucas not that he needs me to defend him I don't think he's a I don't think he's bothered by what people are saying about these movies, and I don't think, you know, I don't think it affects him, (laughs) you know. Now, like I said, I got here at 1040, so 10 minutes before the movie started, and uh, I was surprised because I was the only, well, there was one person in the theater before me, they were sitting against the back wall, and I figured, you know, not having a lot of experience with 3d i figured you know you probably have to sit close to get more of a 3d effect so i sat about uh, uh, a third well a quarter of the way from the front of the screen so i was fairly close closer than i would normally be for a regular movie and there was one person in the theater when i got there at about five minutes before the scheduled start time which was 10 50 but then in the online on their website they say um, that the movies will start 10 to 15 minutes after the scheduled start time and this one started even later than that because it was a 10:50 showing and it started at like 11:15 or 11:20 so uh, but it was funny it, these people <laughs> 11 o'clock or 11:05 is when everyone showed up and maybe maybe 12 people were there this showing so it didn't you know it wasn't packed I don't know what earlier showings were like but I'm hoping that uh, you know this this re-release in 3d is successful because (laughs) my my goal is to see episode 4 a new hope in 3d so you know I would think that will be um, released in 3d depending on how good you know, episode two and episode three do you know how well they do financially for why you know for if um, Lucas is going to release them 3d you know so hopefully this does well it's only the second day and it's a freezing cold winter night you know and it was the latest showing you know and it got out at 1:30 something in the morning so you know I can't uh, blame people for not going to see it but Especially, it's like a 12-year-old movie, too, you know. But those tend to be the ones I see more and more lately because since this show started, I've seen Zombie in the theater. I've seen It's a Wonderful Life in a Theater, which is way older than 12 years. And then I've seen Star Wars Episode One. So I tend to see the older movies, even if it's in a new theater, although this could hardly be considered a new theater. But this is the one... This is the theater I used to go see, you know, first-run movies in all the time. This is actually the theater I saw Rocky IV in when it first came out. So, 
Uh, so I have been here before, but not for a long time. But I, I think, uh, I think I would definitely recommend seeing these movies in 3D in the theater. You know, especially if your eyes can handle the 3D. Uh, I think maybe I just need to get used to it. But when I was watching the pre- prequels, not the pre, the when I was watching the previews for other upcoming 3D movies, it, it was great. The Lorax preview looked good. Um, I can't remember what the other movies were. They had the Three Stooges or a Three Stooges uh, movie that's coming out that wasn't in 3D. That the I actually laughed at the trailer, so you never know. You know, although a lot of people will say, you know, the funniest parts of the movie are probably in the trailer, so it's probably not going to be good. But um, it looked okay. But everything that was in 3D, I thought looked good. I thought um, the 3D in in those, like I said, was better than the 3D in Star Wars because Star Wars wasn't originally done in 3D. So, but I, uh, I just, I think Lucas did a good job on it. But I've always not minded the prequels, you know. Again, I'm I'm not a huge fan of episode th- uh, five and six either myself. I think they're good, but nothing stands up to the first one, which is episode four. So, you know, and you can't expect it. Look at Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think that movie's fantastic. And you know, I remember when I was a kid, my dad's you know driving us to the theater. And it was a second-run theater, and it was like dollar fifty showings back then. So this was was I think it came out in '79, I want to say. So this was like probably six months after it had been out, or maybe a little longer than that. And it came to the second-run theater by our house, and we went and saw it, and knew nothing about it, had heard nothing about it, and went and saw it, and uh, I loved it. It blew me away. But you know, Temple of Doom, I thought was okay. Last Crusade I saw in VHS, and, you know, it was good but didn't really grab me. And I really liked the current one, the uh, Crystal Skulls, I thought was really good. But everyone hated that one, so I don't know. I'm not I'm not a good uh, barometer, I guess, of whether these movies are good or not because I tend to like the ones that no one liked, you know, and I'm not, maybe I'm not as sophisticated as everyone else. Or as smart as them, I don't know, but oh, I gotta get out in this freezing cold and open the gate. But I don't know, I uh I thought Crystal Skull was you know right, uh, Indiana Jones four Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or Crystal Skulls, whatever it was. I thought it was good. I liked the effects. I think uh, Harrison Ford did a good job. I actually I didn't mind Shia LaBeouf. Which is funny because I always go into a Shia LaBeouf performance thinking I'm not going to like it because I don't, you know, he's he's not the type of actor I normally would like. He's, you know, he's kind of goofy at times, but I always end up liking him. So, you know, I thought he was decent in, uh, in Indiana Jones 4. I can't complain. So... So I don't know. I don't know what everyone's hatred of this movie is, but I would have to say that it's a I think it's a solid movie. I think it it adds to the mythology of Star Wars. I think everyone complains because they say it feels like um 
Lucas is just pulling things out of the air to um, to back up, you know, what uh, the story in the, the original trilogy is. So he's just throwing things together to support or to get you to that original trilogy. And I, I don't know if I agree with that or not, but I, I really enjoyed this movie tonight. And I've seen the other two of the of the prequel trilogy and I enjoyed them too. And I have to say um the kid who plays Darth Vader plays Anakin in the second and third I don't like as much as Jake Lloyd. But uh, I you know he is a little stiff at times but I can't say <laughs> Mark Hamill is a fantastic actor playing Luke Skywalker. I think he was good as Luke but I don't know if he had, you know, if he had some great range as an actor or anything. You know, I just thought he was he he was Luke Skywalker to me. You know, so so Jake Lloyd was Anakin to me because we didn't have an Anakin till now, you know, till the till 1999 when this movie came out, you know. I can't remember. <laughs> I'm sitting in the car still. I can't remember the name of that kid who plays uh Anakin when he grows up, but he uh he was good, but, you know, I don't know, maybe there was an issue with how his character was written because he just seemed kind of like a brat, you know, through the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, he had kind of, he just seemed a little dumb. I don't know, that that's the way his character was written, though, so I don't know how he could overcome that, you know. Especially since you know he's going to become Darth Vader, and Darth Vader's this horribly, horrible bad guy, you know. It's like, how could you avoid, how could they avoid having you not like Anakin, you know, especially in the third movie, the final of the, the prequel trilogy, when he kills all of the Jedi kids, you know, it's like he's a bad guy. So, I don't know. You know, I'm no judge of acting or any of that, but I know what I like, and I, I liked Phantom Menace. I thought it was fun. And actually, of the prequel trilogy, it was probably my favorite of the prequel trilogy. But I'm so simple. I tend to like the first of of the series on all of them. You know, so I like Jaws, the first Jaws. I like the first Godfather the most. I like the first Star Wars the most of the original trilogy. And I like the first of the prequel trilogy the most. So... I just tend to like the one that, that, you know, gives me the first emotional attachment. And then the other ones are good, but they never grab me as much as the first one. Are you an angel? What? An angel. I heard the deep space pilots talk about them. They're the most beautiful creatures in the universe. They live on the moons of Diego, I think. You're a funny little boy. How do you know so much? I listen to all the traders and star pilots who come through here. I'm a pilot, you know, and someday I'm going to fly away from this place. You're a pilot? Mm-hmm. All my life. How long have you been here? Since I was very little. Three, I think. My mom and I were sold to Gardula the Hutt, but she lost us betting on the pod races. You're a slave? I'm a person, and my name is Anakin. I'm sorry. I don't fully understand. This is a strange place to me. Well, it's been a few weeks since I saw Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, in the theater. And uh, I haven't had time to uh, come back to discuss it because uh, work's been really busy. And uh, (laughs) 
I've just been trying to catch up on sleep. So uh, better late than never. But I uh, just wanted to wrap uh, discussion up on the movie by saying that um, after thinking about it for a while, I still uh, really enjoyed seeing it. I've uh, done some research online and uh, read uh, how it did in theaters initially because it's been 12 years or 13 years, whatever it is, um, 10 plus years. So I had forgotten what it was like when it was in the theater, actually. I've learned that it initially did well with fans, but not as well with critics, not very well with critics, at least. And then um, there were complaints later about, you know, Jar Jar Binks and uh, racial stereotypes. People say uh, Watto, I think it is, who owns um, Anakin and his mom. They say he's a Jewish stereotype and... um, Jar Jar Binks is a uh, African stereotype. That um, who else was a stereotype? Oh, the Gungan leader um, was was the same thing as Jar Jar. Oh, and there was another one too. Oh, the the, the Trade Federation guys, the Nemoidians or whatever, however you pronounce that, that they were Asian, and uh, apparently they did use Thai um, accents for those characters. So they are using Asian accents. So that is true. But uh, whether it was meant to be negative or not, I don't know. But um, I think I had read that Lucas denies all of this, that these were supposed to be stereotypical characters. But uh, those are the complaints some people had. Me watching it, I didn't have any problem with it. But I wasn't thinking at that level when I was watching it, I guess. So uh, it didn't occur to me that those were supposed to be racial stereotypes. Um, also I learned that it had made quite a bit of money. It was the highest grossing Star Wars movie at that point. And what did it, it had made, uh, initially it broke all kind of records in its debut. Like it beat, uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park's record for this largest single day gross with more than 28 million opening day which was surpassed by Harry Potter in 2001, so a few years later. It was the fastest movie to 100 million, to gross 100 million in five days, uh, which was surpassed by Spider-Man in 2002. It also became the fastest movie to reach the 200 million and 300 million mark, beating Independence Day and Titanic, respectively, to that number. It was 1999's most successful film, earning more than 431 million in North America, and 493 million in other territories. So that's what, eight, nine. It's under a billion, but it's close. And then after its 3D re release, it's the total stands at just over $1 billion for uh, how much The Phantom Menace has made. And uh, it's the 10th highest grossing film of all time, as well as the most financially successful Star Wars film in the saga, when not adjusted for inflation for ticket prices. So I would think, you know, Star Wars uh, Episode Four maybe, you know, if you adjust for inflation, maybe higher. But usually I'm not interested in how a movie does financially because that is no indication of uh, whether it's a good movie or a movie I will enjoy. I just thought I would pass that along that even though a lot of people rip on this movie as one of the least uh, liked Star Wars movies in the uh, of the six, it's 
financially the most successful. But it was 16 years or so between uh, Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace. So you could say that the uh, anticipation is what got people you know, out to the theaters to see after 16 years what Lucas was going to come up with. And I think, you know, I hate to agree with, with um, Roger Ebert, but he gave it a positive review. And I hate to agree with him, but I, you know, I think it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. I thought um, the effects were good. I thought the acting was good. I liked the characters. I was surprised that um, the Emperor looked exactly like the Emperor in the original movies. The, and from what I've read, it's the same guy. His name is Ian McDiarmid. I-A-N, Ian McDiarmid. M-C-D-I-A-R-M-I-D. I don't know him from any other movies. But uh, it says, um, McDermott was surprised when Lucas approached him 16 years after Return of the Jedi to reprise the role of Palpatine because he assumed that a younger actor would play the part in the prequel films. So that's interesting that they went back to the same guy to play himself in the prequels, which is good. I th- it was good that they did that. So, and, and of the characters that appear in the prequels and in the the original three movies, um, I guess he's one of the only reoccurring characters. Yoda would be one, he would be one, and Darth Vader would be one, you know, but he's Anakin in the, th- the most of the first three movies till the end of the third one. So and the prequels, so um, you wouldn't he wouldn't look or sound the same until he became Darth Vader. And one thing I wanted to say, I was surprised because one of the biggest negatives everyone has is Jake Lloyd. Um, that's one of the things people dislike the most about this movie, other than Jar Jar Binks. And I've read that they auditioned more than three thousand young actors for the role, and it's surprising that with three thousand kids that everyone would think that this kid is so bad. After watching it again, I really enjoy his performance. And also, after watching some behind-the-scenes footage on other green screen movies, because, you know, a, a huge chunk of this movie is all being put in later. You know, obviously, when he's in the desert, it's all there. Like, when he's interacting with, with some characters like like Watto and uh, Zabulba, I think it is, the pod racer, they're not there and he's he's acting to them so this little kid is actually doing a pretty good job considering that you know like when he's on Coruscant I think is the pronunciation for that a lot of that is probably all keyed in later so he's acting in a set that isn't even there you know like and when he's in front of the Jedi Council I'm sure a lot of them are added were added later so you know this kid is actually doing a pretty good job when he's you know standing there acting at at nothing at times, you know? So, I don't know. I I think people who complain about Jake Lloyd's performance should cut him some slack, because I think he did a great job, and I think overall this is a really good movie. I think it's it, it keeps in the spirit of the original three, and again, always, though, episode four being my favorite. That's the first one I saw, the, the first one I saw in a theater, and then the first one until this one that I saw in a theater, really, because I don't think I went out to the theater to see Empire and Jedi. Because back then, sequels didn't tend to be as good as the original. So I was not excited to go see the sequels because I loved Star Wars A New Hope 
you know, episode four, and I didn't want to want to see these other movies. I, you know, I knew I liked that movie, and I didn't have to see the sequels. Although you could say one of the greatest sequels of all time, Godfather Two, had been out by then, so that proved that sequels could be good. But I was a little kid, and I hadn't seen Godfather at this point. Although I remember my dad raving about the Godfather and reading the book after, and then going to see the second one, and then when the Traveling Godfather exhibition came to our one, one of our local malls, he went there, and he told me about it, that there was a car with the bullet holes, and the horse head mounted and things, so um, he was a Godfather fanatic, so if I had seen them by now, by at this point, I would have known that uh, sequels can be good, and then I would have maybe gone to see um, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, in the theater, but I, of course, didn't know it at that point, because I was, this was, what, 79, I think, is is the, uh, is a new hope, so 77, so I was 10 when this came out, and I remember standing in line to see it the first time we went to see it, and we couldn't get in because it was sold out, so we went back a week later and finally got in, I think it was the same with Jaws, when we went to see Jaws originally in 76, I think it was, or 75, um, I always think 76, but I think it's 75. Um, we we couldn't get in because it was sold out at that point, and we had to come back the next week and see it. Although I almost wish I had never seen Jaws because it's given me a huge fear of deep water ever since. But um, aside from that, it is one of my favorite movies, and I think one of the best movies of all time. I think Spielberg hit a home run with that movie and uh, really hasn't reached that level since to me. But there are Spielberg movies I enjoy, but none as much as uh, I enjoy Jaws now. But back then, it was just really scary to me. So, But now I can distance myself from the uh, big scary shark and enjoy the rest of the performances and the music and the cinematography and all of that. Well, Jaws 2 is another one. Uh, uh, it's sequels after seeing Jaws. I had no interest in seeing Jaws sequels. I didn't see Jaws 2 until years later, Jaws 3, I never saw in the theater, but I saw on cable, and it wasn't in 3D when I saw it on cable, so it looked ridiculous with this giant fake-looking shark floating towards the camera, and, uh, you know, it wasn't in 3D, so it didn't look like anything, you know, so that was an example of how sequels weren't great, you know, or weren't as good as the original, and then I remember seeing 4 on cable, and that wasn't even close to as good as the original, so... So that kind of helped my my you know lack of desire to see the Star Wars sequels after the first one because uh, you know the, those sequels weren't very good. But again, all of those weren't out by this point either. So, but anyway, um, that's my excuse for not seeing Empire and Jedi in the theater at least. Now, just a word on 3D. When I think of 3D, I always think of the Anaglyph 3D, which is the cyan and red. Or I've also heard there is green and red um, glasses, the little paper glasses. But it's surprising that polarized 3D is actually more common and and more popular and older, from what I understand. Because um, as a kid, you know, um, I had little experience with 3D when we were, you know, when we were kids. Um, the uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon was shown on our lo- one of our local TV stations. And you could go to 7-Eleven, I think it was, and get free 3D glasses, the anaglyph glasses, and uh, watch it. And from what I remember on our TV, which was a pretty big, you know, uh, 
TV. It was one of those ones with the legs on it, and it was a you know giant TV in our front room. I remember um, the 3D from that not being very good. So that kind of colored my perception of what 3D is. And I always thought, you know, up, in, up until not long ago, I, had, I didn't know this polarized 3D existed because I had always associated the anaglyph 3D with 3D. I've come to learn after doing research for this show, after seeing Star Wars, Phantom Menace, and 3D, um, I've learned that um, the polarized version is much more common and, and it really is better because the anaglyph version, all you know, to me, alters the colors and uh, it just isn't as 3D to me. You know, I just, I just don't enjoy it as much if I'm going to see 3D. And like I had said earlier, my experience with 3D, um, you know, other than that seeing the Creature from the Black Lagoon on TV as a kid, is pretty limited. You know, in high school we saw Friday the 13th 3D at the drive-in. And it wasn't in 3D at that point. You know, we didn't have glasses or anything. So when, like, the spear gun, I think it was, comes at the screen, and whatever else, you know, comes at the screen, I can't remember. It's been a while since I saw Friday the 13th 3. Although I did just get it on a DVD uh, for, you know, $2. And uh, it comes with two sets of 3D glasses. So I'll have to try that at home, and I'll let you know. Although I think they were in the anaglyph, so... um, but like I had said, that was my experience in 3D up until about a year ago at a local theater called the Redford Theater, which is an old classic theater with a balcony. Um, great, beautiful theater, Japanese um, motif in the in the auditorium, big Japanese buildings, and oh, just a beautiful theater. And it's been restored nicely by the nonprofit group that runs it, and they show um, old movies and. Uh, have other, you know, um, different, um, things going on there too. But, uh, you know, they have uh, theater organ concerts before the movie. And then they, I think they have theater organ at, playing at the uh, intermissions. And so it's just a great place and, um, a nice little concession stand, which I, when I go to the theater, I never buy popcorn, but I'm always tempted to buy it at the Redford to help uh, support the theater. But the line is so long. It, it goes from, the concession stand to the entrance almost it actually goes to the entrance and which is pretty long and uh, you know so I, I'm just I usually during intermission get up use a restroom and then go back to my seat because this the see the line is so long but anyway um I saw House of Wax with Vincent Price there for Halloween it was either last year or year before and it it was in the polarized 3D and that was really well done uh you know, the 3D in that was kind of gimmicky from what, just like what I remember Jaws and Friday the 13th being not as motivated of 3D as in like, say, this Phantom Menace. Um, but it was good. But my only complaint with that was it was so dim, the image, that it, my eyes got tired really quick. My left eye is the worst of the two when watching 3D. It gets really tired really fast. And, uh, makes me sleepy and everything so but i would think from what i've read with the polarized you're supposed to have a silver screen and i don't think the redford has one now they may have installed one for that showing but i don't know if they would have the money to do that even so that could have been the issue so that that could be why that was kind of dark plus i'm sure at a non-profit theater they probably try to stretch the life of their bulbs as long as possible 
you know, because they don't have the money to be buying new bulbs as often as, say, a commercial theater would be able to, I would think. So that could have been the issue. But I, while that was a positive 3D experience, it was a little negative because of my eyes. But actually, you know, sitting here right now, I'm glancing up at The Walking Dead, which is on right now, and my left eye is getting tired just sitting here. So, you know, I, maybe I have a weak, pretty weak left eye. And then after that, recently this summer, we went to the Detroit Zoo, and there was a 3D show there in their education center. And we saw that for free because it was like a members party, and so it was free to members. I think it was like $4 if you weren't, if you had to actually pay for it. So it's, that's not even bad. But there was a 3D, they call it the 3D, 4D experience. And it starts out with a movie. I think the, the first part was the movie, and it had like, you know, dolphins swimming and, and you know, different underwater stuff in 3D. And that was really good. And the, the gimmick of this 4D thing is in the seats, the backs of the seats, there are these little blowers and misters. So when you're watching this water underwater movie, you know, like the dolphins jump out of the water and land, and you get misted with water, like, you know, like the water from the screen just hits you. And, you know, they're they're flying, you know, through the air and the wind hits you in the face. So it's really cool. You get this kind of, you're immersed in the, the, the experience with feeling the air and feeling the mist on you. And I think the seats rumbled too. So when something would happen, the seats would rumble and move a little. So it, it was pretty fun. And then after that, they showed a Dora the Explorer cartoon that was 3D. And I was floored by that. That was... That was very 3D. And that was all polarized from what I remember. So I've had that, and that one, my eyes didn't bother me at all. So I've had good experiences and okay experience was with the polarized 3D. You know, the, like I said, the anaglyph, I've never had a great experience. So, But like I said, the anaglyph is not very common. Now, the what I saw um, Phantom Menace in was this real D 3D. And they gave me, they gave you special collector's edition 3D glasses with Darth Maul on them and everything, which was neat. And they were big enough to fit over my glasses because I wear these wire rim glasses to see. So that was nice. Um, and like I had said initially in my initial reaction, you know, in the car, the freezing cold car after seeing the movie that night, um, my eyes did get a little tired partway through. Now, so there's something about this um, real 3D that has circular polarization so that you can move your eye, you know, kind of tilt your head and, you you know, you still get the 3D. If you don't have this, if you tilt your head, it will result in the incorrect parallax and prevent the brain from correctly fusing the stereoscopic images, seeing 3D. So that's the advantage of this real D. And I have to say it worked really well, although it did it did make my eyes tired. You know, I don't know if AMC has silvered screens or not, because not having researched it ahead of time, I didn't really think to to um, to watch if if the screen was different. You know, so maybe that was an issue. But um, it definitely seemed way brighter than when I saw House of Wax. So I can't complain in that regard. But my eyes did get a little tired. But, you know, this was a late showing. So, you know, I it, I got out of there late. <laughs> it started late. It ended late. And I was falling asleep in the movie just because I was, you know, I'm old and, uh, you know, work and 
work tires me out and I don't, I never get enough sleep. And so, so, you know, those issues, I can't complain about, I can't complain about being caused by the movie because, you know, I was just tired when I got there. But overall, I thought, I thought it was a great experience. I would totally recommend uh, people try watching um, 3D movies. I would recommend going to see the other Star Wars movies in 3D, actually. I, uh, I can't wait for the next ones. But then, of course, the one everyone's really waiting for is New Hope. But that won't be for years now. If, if Lucas is planning on waiting a year for each one, you know, it'll be four years before we get to see New Hope. But I think it'll be cool. And one thing that I didn't realize, because I thought all of the prequel trilogy were made at the same time, but this was the last one, Phantom Menace, was the last of the Star Wars movies to be shot on film. The second the second and third of the prequel trilogy were digital. So um, I was surprised because I had thought all three of the prequels were done, uh, were done digitally, but only the second and third. So that was interesting. So that may make it easier for them to do the 3D on the second and third ones because they probably have all the digital elements still. I can't see Lucas destroying any of that stuff, you know, especially after having gone through, you know, the the original trilogy. He would know to keep elements by now if if he ever destroyed anything, you know, initially for after the first 3. So I'm sure the the second one and the third one in the prequel trilogy, when those go to 3D, when they do the process on them, I'm sure it's going to be great because they'll have all of the elements and they'll have a head start. So, but it's interesting to note that this re-release, while while not not huge money, you know, hundred million dollars ish, pushed it over um, over a billion, which I guess very few movies have done. Well, I guess if it's the tenth highest, uh, nine other at least have done it. But that's kind of interesting, a billion dollars for a movie. You would think Star Wars, A New Hope, if you add in, you know, that's the thing, though. I think they only add ticket sales into this. So, you know, Star Wars, New Hope has been on Laserdisc and, you know, beta and VHS and DVD and and Blu-ray probably now. It's like just the DVD sales alone on on A New Hope have to be a billion dollars, you know. So, So Lucas has made hopefully quite a bit of money on it because I think he deserves it. Even though a lot of people complain that they say um, Star Wars is just ripping off the um, old movie serials. I think Lucas has been pretty uh, open from the beginning that he, you know, these are kind of an homage to those kind of, you know, like the, the flash Gordons that we used to watch on, on our local UHF station late at night. You know, they have them on at like 11, 1130 you know, they're supposed to be an homage to that where it's kind of, you know, these science fiction, not hardcore sci-fi, you know, hardcore SF, I guess you should say sci-fi is not what the cool science fiction fans say, especially even now that sci-fi has made it sci-fi with Ys. It's even less cool. But in my fantasy and science fiction class in college years and years ago, our teacher taught us that if you're a real science fiction fan, you call it SF, you don't call it sci-fi. That's for nerds, just like um, Star Trek fans call themselves Trekkers. Trekkie is a derogatory term if you're a Star Wars fan or a Star Trek fan. I mean, so so it's interesting when when news uh, organizations do stories on Trek fans and call them Trekkers. <laughs> you know, no one knows that that's a bad thing until uh, they learn it later, I guess. But uh, anyway, 
So that's the deal with Phantom Menace. I opened my eyes upon a very strange land. I immediately knew then I was on Mars. Not once did I question this fact. My mind told me I was on Mars as your mind tells you that you are upon Earth. You do not question the fact, nor did I. I can't wait for John Carter to come out in 3D because I'm not, not as much because it's 3D, although I will go see it in 3D. And you know what's interesting is before seeing Star Wars in 3D, I used to complain, you know, I would think, oh, I'm not going to pay extra to see a movie in 3D because, you know, what do I care if it's in 3D? But you know what? I didn't even think about the cost of seeing Star Wars in 3D. So I guess if it's a good movie, you don't really care what the what the additional cost is. You just want to see it. And that's the, what's interesting about John Carter because I really want to see John Carter. And, you know, if I if it's not available in non-3D and, you know, in regular, I'll still see it because, uh, you know, it's just something I want to see. Because uh, even though I have a bunch of the Edgar Rice Burroughs books, I'm more of a fan of the John Carter Warlord of Mars comic book series from Marvel Comics. And I guess it was the 80s, maybe 70s and 80s. Maybe it was just in the 70s. <laughs> I remember growing up, I read them. I found one of them. And it led me to collect the entire series with all the annuals and everything. And I still have them. Unfortunately, they're up in the attic, so I don't get to see them very often. But uh, they're bagged up in boxes, and uh, someday I'll get to see them again. But uh, I loved that series. That was I would have to say that was my favorite comic book series I ever read. You know, I later became an X-Men fan and an Avengers fan, and I wasn't a fan of the Invaders, which was kind of a, a made-up uh, group because it was you know, supposed to be set in World War II, but I don't think it really existed back in World War II in comic form. I think it was a new group that they created and set it in World War II, but I liked that series too. The art was good and the characters were good, but I never, I've never been a huge Spider-Man fan or any of these ones that everyone loves, like Spider-Man and Superman and... You know, the ones that get the movies made, for the most part, I never was a huge fan of. But John Carter, Warlord of Mars, was my favorite. The art was great. It was interesting ideas. You know, the Tharks, or the whole, what, yeah, the Tharks were, um, well, I guess the Green Men, because the, there's the Tharks and the Warhoon and all these different tribes, I guess, of them. But the Green Men were awesome with the four arms and the huge bodies and, and the, the, like horns no they had they had tusks and then they had the little suction cup things on the top of their head and uh one thing i loved about the john carter um marvel series was that the 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 green men were huge they were really muscular and gigantic and the negative i see in other like dells and, and other comic companies um, versions of the green men is they're all tall and skinny and the art from the novels all to be, seem to be tall and skinny green men. And this movie is going to do tall and skinny green men. And they just don't seem as tough. Because you have to remember, John Carter, when he's on Mars, is super strong. Because of you living on Earth with its gravity, when he's on Mars, it makes him super strong. So to fight really tall, skinny green men on the green I guess green men on Mars 
in the movie, it's not going to be as impressive if he knocks this tall, skinny guy over as in the Marvel comics when he fights these giant, muscular guys, you know. So, so I don't know. I'm torn because I'm a huge fan of the, the thicker green men, but I still want to see it. And then in that 10-minute um, uh, preview that they have online for it, um, those the the apes, the white apes of Mars, the things are gigantic, you know. In the in the comics, they're not that big. They're big, but they're not that big. You know, they're they're bigger than the Green Men, but not by much, from what I remember in the comics. But in the movie, they're huge. They're monsters. So so I I can't wait to see John Carter, you know. And so I guess I'm excited about 3D, and you know. But like I said, if John Carter is in 2D, if I it, it, to be honest, if I knew John Carter would show up in Cinemark theaters, because our Cinemark is is a dollar fifty, I think it is, unless it's a Friday or Friday or a weekend, then it's two fifty. So I would rather see John Carter in a Cinemark theater to, without 3D, than paying to see it in 3D necessarily but i have no problem thinking that i'm going to spend 10 to 12 or 13 dollars on a 3d john carter so i guess that is as good as any uh, of a uh, argument for if 3d is good or not because i saw it and i'm used to either going to dollar theaters or watching it on two dollar dvds and i had no problem paying um, $13 to see Star Wars. So I guess that means that I'm a fan of 3D, but again, if it's a good movie, I think it works in 2D or 3D. So it doesn't have to be 3D, but it was fun. Hmm. How feel you? Cold, sir. Afraid, are you? No, sir. See through you. We can. Be mindful of your feelings. Your thoughts dwell on your mother. I miss her. Mm. Afraid to lose her, I think. Mm? What has that got to do with anything? Everything. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I sense much fear in you. You know, after watching Star Wars in 3D, it got me thinking of other movies that um, have have sequels or, you know, are, are a movie in a series that people loved, but um, they loved the series, but then there were installments that people, you know, think weren't as good. And lately... They've been showing Raiders of the Lost Ark, the fourth movie. They Well, they've been showing all of them, but they've been showing the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull the most. And um, I have to say, I'm a huge fan of Raiders. It was my favorite movie at the time. You know, like it, it jumped over, I, w- I think, because I was a teen at this point um, in 81. I was in junior high. And, uh, you know, Star Wars was fantastic, my favorite movie possibly of all time but for a while Raiders jumped over it because um you know we were I remember driving in my dad's duster Plymouth duster I think it was 
green car uh, up the road to go to the theater to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I said, what the heck is this movie? I don't know anything about it. And he said, oh, it's supposed to be good. It was out. It had been out. And then it came to our second-run theater that was at a local mall. And I think it was $2 to get in. And uh, (laughs) we went to see it, and it floored me. It blew me away. It was such a fantastic movie. And, you know, and you know Harrison Ford at that point from Star Wars. That was my mostly my um, exposure to him. I don't think I had seen American Graffiti yet because he was in that, but he wasn't in it a lot. But I loved Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it and this was a, a an unusual thing for me because when Temple of Doom came out, I went and saw that in the theater, which for me you know was unusual because I like I said I didn't see sequels in theaters because they're never as good, but I saw. A Temple of Doom in the theater and loved it. I remember seeing that in high school and loving it. And then um, Last Crusade, I was in college. So I, I didn't, you know, money was tight. I was paying my way through school. So I couldn't go to the theater necessarily. You know, I was working and volunteering at, at school stuff and, and uh, it's going to class and everything. So it was it was hard to fit movies in because of the cost and the time so I remember renting that one on VHS and watching it in my apartment late at night and um, I remember really liking that one too and uh, I was surprised how the quality of the Raiders movies the Indiana Jones movies I mean held up you know because uh, usually in in series is you know there's always some kind of drop-off in quality usually although you could say in Star Wars it never happened you know, the people's complaint with Star Wars has never been quality, usually. It's, they, they don't like the writing or the characters, necessarily. But, uh, you know, the Jar Jar Binks stuff and all that. So, um, there's never been a real quality drop-off in Star Wars. But in, in a lot of series, there is. And Indiana Jones, I would say, to me, there hasn't been. And which leads me to the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the fourth movie, which I remember when that came out, it kind of got the reception that the Star Wars prequels got, or at least Phantom Menace, where people were expecting so much from the fourth movie because it had been a while since since the third one was out. And because uh, the fourth one came out in 2008 and I was in college, I graduated from college in 90. So it was at least, you know, 1990 to 2008 is what, 18 years yeah so it's been it was a while between four and three and four so people were expecting a lot and a lot of people I think had forgotten what the first three were like because um, everyone was talking about how unrealistic it was and you know and like why would they do aliens and oh no the Russians are the bad guys in this one it's like if you watch the other three it's exactly like them you know it's it it follows the spirit of the, the series so well. And I, I don't think it cheats at all. And, and you know, while I'm no Shia LaBeouf fan, I think Shia LaBeouf is really good in this movie. And when he's swinging with the monkeys and everyone rips on that because they say they're CG monkeys and it's so fake, it's like, come on, this is Indiana Jones. This is a guy who jumped out of an airplane with a raft <laughs> and floated to the ground and then was fine. You know, this is things everything he does works it doesn't matter what he does and what's interesting is i had read on online that the jumping out of the airplane with the raft and what was it oh the big rolling um gong thing in the opening scene were 
were scenes that were rejected for the original movie but used in the sequel, which is kind of cool that they came up with these ideas, didn't think they were either workable or fit in the movie, and they found a way to use them in the second one. So I think it's AMC. It's I can't remember. Maybe it's AMC has been showing. No, I think it's USA has been showing Indiana Jones over and over and over and over lately. So uh, I've, I've watched a lot of it. Because even though I have all of them on DVD, I, I don't get up to stick them in the in the player very often, or as often as I do, just kind of scan around the um, TV, you know, cable to find uh, or UVerse we have to find something interesting. And I've watched Indiana Jones: Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the you know the fourth movie, quite a few times lately. You know, at least in part, and I've seen it all again. If you put the parts I've seen over and over. Um, together I've at least watched it one more time and uh, and I've seen it a few times but uh, I don't find any problems with it I think it's a great movie I think it totally is in the uh, spirit of the originals but you know that it gets unfairly I think criticized just like Phantom Menace does you know and and you can't the thing with movies is no one is right or wrong when it comes to their their uh, reviews or you know their critiques of a movie in in whether they like it or not they could critique it on saying the directing's poor or the editing's bad or the sound's bad or the writing's bad or the acting's bad or things like that but you know you can't fault someone for liking or not liking something so you know i can't say they're wrong but a lot of the complaints i hear on them to me seem wrong at least to me i just think People should give these movies a chance because if nothing else, it gives you another opportunity to see characters you love or enjoy in another movie. You know, I I watched the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and I wish, I hope they do another one because they set that ending up, you know, when, when the hat gets blown off the hat rack and Shia LaBeouf goes to pick it up and you think, oh, he's passing the, the, the baton to the, the new Indiana Jones and they're going to make you know, Mutt Jones movies. And then, but, but no, you know, Harrison Ford grabs it and puts it on. It's the, ah, no, I'm still Indiana Jones, you know? And I, I don't know if they've planned to make another one, a fifth one, but if they do, I'm excited because I, I think they've, they still got it. I think they, uh, they still know what the series is about. I think some fans have grown up and forgotten what the series is about, but I think the Spielberg and Lucas still know what it's about. If you ask me. So, because I think it's a great movie, you know, and I, I thought the alien idea was really fun, you know, and I loved when they went into that warehouse, when the Russians kidnap Indiana Jones and take him to that warehouse where all of the things, you know, he's found have been stored like the Ark and they go in and find the, the alien bodies. I thought that was fantastic to get to go into that, that warehouse. It would have been nice if they would have like knocked over a box and, you know, like the, you know it opened up and you could see the arc in there or something would have been cool too. But, you know, and I don't remember if, if there were any, like if you, if they walked by it and you could see like the burnt on the box or something, but you know, I, I'm excited after watching four over and over and over and seeing the uh, one, two and three, um, in, in between throughout the week, uh, whenever I turn on, I think it's USA. Um, I, I can't complain about four. I think it's a great movie. I think it's fun. You know, I have no complaints. And another movie that's interesting, another series that's been shown a lot lately, um, the Godfather movies, because it's the 40th anniversary of the original Godfather. 
AMC's been showing them like crazy. You know, the the first one that I've seen a lot lately, and then they've done the Godfather Saga, where they they put them all in order, I guess. And it's just interesting to see these movies. And uh, what's interesting though is I think there's a lot of extra footage in the uh, saga version of it and it does tend to be a little slower to me you know it doesn't move as as well as the originals did when you saw them you know in their original form but it makes me think of which which is interesting because i haven't seen of all the 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 godfather i've caught lately i haven't really seen godfather 3 again in this whole thing and i the Godfather 3 is the only one I originally saw in a theater. You know, the other ones I originally saw on VHS or on cable or something and, and maybe went on to see in the theater, which which one thing makes me mad is Cinemark re-released the original Godfather in theaters for one day last Friday, I think it was. So a few days ago, it's Sunday right now. And but only in like the first run Cinemark theaters. So our local Cinemarks here in Michigan, at least in the Detroit area, are like these second run, you know, last run theaters where they're a dollar. So they wouldn't re-release The Godfather into those theaters. Because I think when I searched, the closest one was Wisconsin or something to me. But for one day, they had The Godfather, the original Godfather in theaters to celebrate the 40th anniversary. And I would have loved to have gone and seen that. But no, uh, that I wasn't lucky enough. Although, um, just like with seeing Zombie in the theater, th- there's this trend now when they release movies on Blu-ray. They dump them in the theater for a day to kind of push the Blu-ray release. And Casablanca is coming to theaters for a day. I think it's for a, one day soon because it's march right now early march and i think it's within the next week or two and that's going to come to an amc near me not not the one i saw star wars at unfortunately which is right down the street but one within within seven miles i think of me so i'll still get to go see it so i'm going to go see casablanca in the theater because i just watched that again on tcm and uh, it's such a good movie it's you know you can't complain about Humphrey Bogart in anything really he's always good but everyone around him is so good it's just oh I want to see that on a big screen and see what it's like although it's it's always surprising when you see these old movies in the theater and they're four by three almost if not four by three a lot of them so it'll be interesting to see what the aspect ratio of this one is because I'm not really a tech person when it comes to movies or enjoying movies I'm always more interested in the emotion evoked by the, the story or um the visuals or, you know, I, I like to drink up or, you know, um, absorb the feeling or the emotions from the story, not usually get caught up in what the aspect ratio is of the movie or, you know, any of that stuff. I'm, I'm not usually as interested in the technical aspects of a movie as I am in how it works as a story, you know, and technically either as writing either. Um, I'm not really concerned if it follows the three act structure structure or if it gets to its, you know, the, the resolution at the right point or, you know, things are, or if it's laid out correctly, you know, in terms of script writing, I just want to be, um, placed in a world or taken to a world that the movie creates and then told a story in that world. That's all I want. So if they pull me into the movie and tell me a story in that movie, in that world of that movie, um, I'm happy, you know, so I don't care if there are flaws because like some people have said online, you know, the flaws in Star Wars um, Phantom Menace are totally outweighed or, or totally eliminated by the positives. 
So, and that's what I like to do in a movie is I, I like to, you know, I don't even notice the flaws until later if I do at all, because I, I'm there for the ride, you know, I'm not there to wonder if, uh, if the movie's good or not, or if it, you know, if it stood up or if it, you know, it met the expectations of the audience or whatever. Although what's interesting is I remember seeing Godfather part three in the theater and it was good, but I didn't love it, you know? So it was like, I was judging it with the, you know, the ideas of having, you know, one and two in my head. And so I didn't, I think that's part of why I didn't love three in the theater, you know, and the fact that Al Pacino looks so different in three to me, it always be already become what he looks like now, kind of where he looks like a different person from the first two to the third. I think that's what took me out of the movie a little bit, but um, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't leave three with any idea of what I didn't like about it, but it just didn't move me as much as one and two did. And what's interesting is when I saw land of the dead in the theater, to me, it was a big event to go see a George Romero movie in the theater because, you know, I I wasn't old enough to see night when it was in theaters or drive-ins. So I saw that on TV later and that I've seen it in the theater since, but not at first run. And I saw Dawn at a midnight screening when I was in high school, but it was probably two years after it was out. So I didn't get to see that first run either. And Day was the first Romero movie I saw first run. And I liked it a lot, but you know, at that point, Return, I had seen Return, or I saw Return after that, I think, of The Living Dead in the theater. And it just, that grabbed me so much more because Day is so serious and dark and return is so fun and, and you know, loud and crazy. You know, it's it's not hard to believe, you know, that return would have a wider general audience um, following than Day. Because Day, you know, Day stays true to Romero's rules of zombies. And it's, it's more serious. But what's interesting is when I saw Land in the theater, the movie ended. And I didn't have any feeling for it at all and I, I watched and I enjoyed it but it didn't grab me initially although on repeated viewings on DVD I've come to really like Land uh, I don't think it's a, a bad movie at all I think it you know in Night being my sentimental favorite Day being my total favorite Land may be my second because Dawn is good but Dawn didn't grab me as much as the other ones which brings me to another movie I've been watching on cable a lot lately Diary of the Dead which came out after Land in the series, has been on cable a lot, and I keep watching it. And um, when I watch it, I remember people's initial complaints about it, being, you know, Romero's this old guy, and he's commenting on technology and the Internet and YouTube and all this, but, you know, with this movie. And I can't really um, go along with their people's ideas on that because I watch it, and you know what? It seems to make sense to me, you know? Although the only thing that doesn't make sense is why the people would keep carrying the cameras to me but I guess if you're in that situation, you might. But it just seems like, you know, if, if you could potentially be killed, you would set the camera down. But uh, that's the only thing I find hard. But that's what a lot of people have problems with, with found footage movies, is why wouldn't the person have put that camera down, you know, and helped someone or save themselves or something, you know, which makes sense. But when I watched it, I think Diary's a good little movie. I think even if you call Diary and Survival lesser Romero or Land 2, still when compared to other zombie movies from other directors and writers, they're still some of the best. I mean, Return is probably better. It may be better than Day. It's probably better than Land. 
and survival and diary. But, you know, other than that one, and you could say zombie is as good as these, but there aren't that, or in, in the Dawn remake is, is good. And, uh, what was there was one more oh in 28 days later which isn't really a zombie movie but it's a, you know it's kind of an apocalyptic you know people losing control kind of like when you lose control of your body as a zombie you know when you're infected the same thing so it's like there aren't that many movies in this genre you know subgenre of horror whatever you want to call it you know the zombie movies that are as good as even the later Romero zombie movies and it's funny like I said with Indiana Jones I hope Romero makes more because I don't think this cheapens the earlier movies you know I think it, it if anything it makes me more interested in seeing what they have coming next if you ask me so I don't know a director can still keep making movies without cheapening their older movies if you ask me so I, I don't subscribe to that theory although speaking of uh Romero stuff. I've been reading the this um, comic book series I picked up on a trip to Ohio over the summer. We, there's this cool bookstore in Maslin, Ohio that I like going in and they sell new and used books and they have some cool books in there and most of them are out of my price range but uh, they had this um, series that John Russo wrote uh, from what I understand that's Night of the Living Dead, the beginning and I, I haven't read all of them yet but I've read two, I think it might be five comics and it may have been collected into like a, a, a you know a graphic novel later, but uh, I have the original, you know the 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 flimsies or whatever they call them, you know the the individual comics, and they were really cheap, all in one bag, you know, all in one comic book bag, five or whatever there are, and I read the first one and I mostly threw the second one, and uh, so far all I can say is, you know, a lot of people complain about Rousseau because he kind of you know you can see kind of where the you know the the success of of uh, Night of the Living Dead came from because Romero's gone on to make these really good movies and Rousseau's gone on to make these kind of cheapy movies kind of cash in movies people say and you know I've met I met John Russo at a comic convention here and I got his autograph, and he seemed like a nice guy, and I bought a copy of the Night of the Living Dead film book from him because I have my original version, just like my Zombies at 8 Pittsburgh that I bought from B. Dalton at the local mall back in junior high or early high school. And then I have the version that I bought from him because my original version is black and red, I think, the cover of the um, Night of the Living Dead film book, but the version I got brought from him is like silver and green or something. So it is different. So, um, but, and he seemed like a nice guy, so I don't want to rip on John Russo, but, you know, and he seems motivated. This guy, you know, he's, he, he hasn't really rested on being the co-writer of, and being, you know, on the the image 10 group from night. So, you know, he, he keeps trying, you know, he's, I have a bunch of film or novelizations he's written of, I think it's, I think I have the one I have is ones I have are Night and two of the Return of the Living Deads because he wrote a Return of the Living Dead script if you know the story behind the, the movie where they bought the script from him threw away the story and and uh, just um, used the title and rewrote the whole thing so um, I have the original novelization he wrote that is not much at all and it's nothing like 
the movie Return of the Living Dead. And then then he went on to do a novelization of, I think a novelization of the, uh, from what I remember, it's been a while since I read them, of what they actually made. So um, that's interesting. You know, I bought those. The guy's an author. He's written books. He's directed movies. He's written movies. He's trying. But he wrote this Night of the Living Dead, the beginning um, series. And so far it feels like kind of a missed opportunity because... If you've seen that 30th anniversary edition of Night, where they stick in a bunch of you know extra footage, and they have the you know the scene with the with the grave digger guys at the beginning, and the cemetery zombie Bill Heinzman who passed away recently, and uh, and uh, you know you have to you have to uh, uh, I don't know how you would phrase that you have to uh, thank Bill for what he did, you know his contributions. To, to horror movie history by being the uh, the first modern zombie. You know, you could say that uh, children the children shouldn't play with dead things. I think came later, but like, what is it? The um, what is the uh, hammer one? Darn it! Plague of the Zombies is is was before, but that wasn't the same kind of zombies. Um, and um, like everyone says, how Romero took um, cues from Last Man on Earth, but those weren't zombies either. I always think of them as vampires. So, um, you know, Heinzman or Hinsman, it's spelled Hinsman, but I think the Profondo Cinema guys always say Heinzman. And they're, they're more, I would consider them, you know, Romero slash Pittsburgh experts. You know, they know, they seem to know what they're talking about. They go there and they've met all these guys and, you know, so they, I think they say Heinzman. So, but he's, you know, as far as, as I'm concerned, he's the first modern zombie. So, you know, thank you, Mr. Heinzman, um, for your work. And I appreciate, uh, what you've done and rest in peace, I guess I would say. And I don't mean to sound flippant, but I, you know, I, I'm always, I never know what to say when, when someone passes. So I just hope his family is doing well. And, um, and I'm just, uh, I thank him for his, what he's done because I've enjoyed every time I see that movie, I enjoy it. And he is a big part of that movie, I think, to me. You know, his attacking, you know, fighting with Johnny and, and attacking, chasing Barbara, and then, you know, kind of being a presence outside of the house and then actually showing up on the pile for the fire at the end. You know, he's th- woven throughout that entire movie. I think he's a huge part of the success of that movie. So I think he did a great job, you know. I I think from what I remember, I haven't seen the 30th anniversary DVD in a while, but I think when I saw that, he he looked a lot different to me in that one than he did originally. You know, they cut it together, but um, still, you know, how can you blame him? You gotta you gotta give these guys credit. Everyone hated them when they uh, when they messed with the 30th anniversary version. You know, the only thing I can fault them for is changing the music. And I don't know, a lot of times music issues are because of copyright, you know. So they may have had to, you know, I don't know if they had to or not. But, you know, but I guess they didn't, might not have had to. Because I guess, I think on my DVD, there's, it's a multiple set, I think. And I think there's the original and then there's the the 30th anniversary with the, with extended, you know, with new scenes and different music. So... But for whatever reason, you know, that would be the only thing I could fault them for is changing the music because the music was a huge part of that movie. So, but I've read these, getting back to the the Night of the Living Dead, the beginning comics, 
it just feels a little bit like a missed opportunity because so far um, he's jumping around. You know, he, he tries to give you a look at what's go- what happens before we join this you know, bunch of people in the farmhouse, you know, and, and he, he, so far he hasn't really shown Barbara and Johnny. He kind of flashes to them, but they're just kind of driving. Um, and then he quickly away from them because we, of everyone, we see them the most before, you know, because, you know, we see Barbara, them driving and then, you know, Johnny and her getting out and going to the grave and then, then being attacked and running to the house. So Barbara is the only one we have any backstory on at all at least that we see, you know, they tell us the other ones later. So it's not surprising, you know, that he would just kind of jump over them. But, you know, Ben, we hear him talk about being at Beekman's Diner. So you expect to see some of that. And there is that in there. And um, it's not, it's not very, I don't want to say not very well done, but it's not as cool as it could be because he's got the opportunity. And, And I know when you can do anything, it's hard to come up with something. But what he came up with at the diner, you know, there's some guys saying race, racist comments to Ben. And then they see the zombies and a few people get killed. And, and of course, you have to have the 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 semi, you know, being attacked and bursting into flames because Ben tells us that story. The only interesting thing at Beekman's that I that I thought was interesting was when the sheriff and the new deputy show up at Beekman's to get coffee and they're attacked by the zombies in the parking lot and they 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 fight him off and jump in the car and take off so you get to see the sheriff a little in advance and remember i'm only a book a comic and a half or a comic and three quarters into it so you don't know what he's going to do next but so far it does feel like a little bit of a missed opportunity because uh, the beekman's diner thing didn't add a whole lot and uh, one negative with it is is one of the characters says they're acting like zombies and i think they totally avoided saying zombies in night and russo obviously had no problem with that because he calls them zombies so but you know that's the 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 only thing i well the 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 thing i can say about beekman's that's a positive is that the sheriff shows up now to me, at least, in my in my opinion, you know, it looks like all this. It's all opinion, but um, the other part that he jumps, that he starts the whole series with, is at the house because you know the whole movie takes place in the house. That's the main location for the movie, so of course he's going to spend the most time setting that up. And you know, we remember that the woman from the the house. You know, we see a pile of like a skull and and body parts upstairs. So we know that, you know, that someone was at that house and died. So we know that, that there's a lady there and she died somehow before the movie started, you know. So he starts with that and he spends the most time. Sorry, I'm a little distracted. Um, I'm watching The Walking Dead and the guy, the older guy, I can't remember, Dale, I think it is. He's got attacked by a zombie and got his guts ripped out. So I can't see him living through this. But oh boy. Wow. One thing that uh, surprises me in Walking Dead or any zombie movie is how the people will be walking along and suddenly they turn and there's a zombie right next to them. But yet these things have to stink and they make noise and you could hear them moving. So, oh boy, Herschel's coming. He's going to try to save them. I don't see how he can save them. There's no hope.
There's no hope. I think Herschel's telling you, he's saying, no, we can't. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing. Wow, what a huge twist, eh? Herschel is, uh, he's a, he, he's, I mean, not Herschel, Dale's a big part of the, from what I remember in the comics, I haven't read them all, but um, his character's totally changed. And this guy who plays Dale is really good. He's one of the best actors in the series. And he's going to die. Darn. Darn it. Oh, oh boy. But anyway, um, at the house in the uh, Night of the Living Dead, the beginning comics, the lady is home. She's sick. Uh, she's an older lady, and her, her granddaughter or something, I think it was, I don't think it's her daughter, is, lives with her, and she has to go to work at Beekman's Diner. And it's just too perfect that, you know, the, the woman has a relative that works at the diner that then Ben goes to and mentions. And so, you know, it's it's kind of weak to me. I don't know. I'm no writer, but it seems like Russo could have come up with something a little, a little better. I don't know. So, oh, man, they're about to shoot Dale. Darn. Darn. He was, oh, he's one of the best actors in the show. Maybe he maybe he didn't want to be on too long, I guess. I don't know. Darn it. Oh, damn. That's sad. How can you lose one of your best actors? But I guess, you know, these, he's a film guy, so, I, you know, and I can't remember his name, but he was Shawshank Redemption. He's always in all the Darabont stuff, so he might have wanted out anyway because Darabont left the show, which I think has to be a huge mistake, you know, speaking of The Walking Dead. You, ha you give him the power to create the show. You give him the rope, you know, to create the show, and, and, and it's, pos it's successful, it's positive, and then you, you get rid of him. So I only hope this guy wanted off because that was sad. To, you know, he he was the only guy who kind of was seeing at the you know, other than Laurie was starting to see that Shane is kind of going crazy, you know, and that he should be watched and he's dangerous and everything, you know. So he was like the voice of reason. So it's too bad that they uh, they did that. Oh man, that's sad. But you know, they Russo starts off with the older lady at the at the house, the farmhouse. So we see, you know. She's in her room watching TV. So, you know, that's why the TV was upstairs, that they had to bring it down, you know, and all that. Like I said, I'm no writer, but it seems like he could have done a little more. I'm hoping that he follows the Coopers a little because that's, you know, we hear a little bit about their backstory, you know, how the car was turned over and all that. So I, I want to see what, what they went through to get to the house. Ben escapes the Beekman's diner and gets in a, a pickup truck and takes off. So... We, you know, he's the pretty much the main character, so you know, you knew he would follow him a little. And Beekman's is mentioned in, in the movie, so but it, it just seems like a wasted opportunity because he could have he could have um, explored, I don't know, more to me. I just hope, like I said, that the Coopers get a little bit of, of uh, coverage. Although, what's interesting is, darn, what's his name? The guy and his girlfriend in the basement. Shh. I'm blanking on him and his name, but I, I wonder if they're going to show how they got there too, because that's not the daughter or or granddaughter or whatever she was. Because there is a boyfriend and girlfriend that you know the the lady's granddaughter or whatever. Her and her boyfriend work at Beekman's. He's like a cook and she's a waitress. So hopefully, the Coopers get a little bit of focus and uh, Judy and what's his name? I can't. Tom, I think it is in the basement. Now, one thing that is really weird is this girl, you know, her grandma is, is homesick 
and the the girl is you know she gets in her boyfriend's car to he, for, for him to drive them to work at Beekman's diner and like he you know peels out and does a donut and so she's yelling and I watch out my grandma's going to see oh Greg Nicotero's on Talking Dead interesting always to see him after seeing him in day he was such a big part of day even though yeah, he wasn't a big part but he's rec you know he, he's so recognizable from day it's interesting to see him and he, he actually directed this episode so interesting that he's on i should record this but i'm not <laughs> the talking deads don't grab me as much because it's so it's so light and cutesy the i'd enjoy it more if they took it more seriously but they need a different host because this host is not someone who would host something serious but um, what one thing that really took me, you know, by surprise in this Night of the Living Dead, the beginning comic series, is, uh, <laughs> you know, the the boyfriend peels out and they drive to Beekman's to work, and they go into work and and uh, this must be in the kitchen. The guy turns the boyfriend the the girl says something. He turns and the girl lifts up her dress and shows him her bare butt, so like to just to kind of be flirtatious with him. And I'm thinking, really? In Night of the Living Dead, this girl's flash and her moon and her boyfriend or whatever. It's like, eh, I don't know. You know, John, why did you do that? You know, that just seemed like a misstep to me, too. It's like, you take this classic movie, you you think, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell the stories that lead up to it, you know, because people have been wondering about this for years, since 68. You know, how did these people get to this farmhouse? You know, we hear their story, but we've never seen it, you know. And so Romero sits down and thinks, you know what, I'm going to write these. And you think, well, you know what, that sounds like a good idea, John, do it. And then write them, and then someone's going to make the comics, and then they're going to sell them, and, and the fans can read them and get some backstory. But so far it hasn't been that impressive. you know. And I feel sorry for him because I, I like John Russo. I think he seems like a nice guy. You know, I met him, and he, you know, he seemed nice, kind of quiet guy. So I, I wish him success. Just like I wish everyone involved with Night Success. But um, so far, I can't recommend Night of the Living Dead, the beginning comic series, because it's uh, it hasn't grabbed me. Although what's interesting is I kind of I pulled out the wrong book from the, uh, the, um, the sleeve, and I think it goes all the way through the movie, too. So there's the beginning, and then they do the movie. Because there was a scene in the book um, with the little girl, the Cooper's daughter, attacking... Mrs. Cooper, I think. So, you know, and I went, oop, and closed it and put it back in the bag and got the right one. So it might be there's the beginning and then the actual night. So we'll see. But, you know, I, I was all excited because I saw it at the at the bookstore, this book, great bookstore in uh, Maslin, Ohio, right on in the main downtown area. And uh, I can't remember what it's called, like Book Beat or something. I, I may be totally wrong, but it's this cool little bookstore. They have like a reading, like a, um, what's his name, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft group where they read H.P. Lovecraft books and discuss them there and everything. And if you are a H.P. Lovecraft fan, I'm sure you've read of, you've heard of the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast, I think it's called. I think their website's hmpod.com, but uh, they're a great podcast where they, they discuss uh, Lovecraft and read the stories and you know, they, they discuss them and then they have excerpts from the stories read by um, actors that they know. And uh, it's a great podcast if you're interested in Lovecraft at all. I don't know that much about Lovecraft and a lot of what I know, I I know through listening to them. But um, that's a great podcast if you're ever interested in learning about 
H.P. Uh, Lovecraft at all. But I picked these books up at, at this great bookstore for, I think it was $4 for five or six of them, which to me seems like a good deal. I mean, knew they were probably way more than that each. I'm sure they were a couple dollars each, so that's a good deal. And uh, and I, I want to support this bookstore whenever I go there, so I was just happy to find something that was in my price range. Because when I go to a store like that, I think of $5-ish. I don't think of 10 necessarily but you know they have some cool great books there like hammer horror you know history of hammers movies or something books that are like 30 or 50 or something that i could never buy but you know for five bucks i can't pass up you know five or less i can't pass up these you know night of the living dead comics so but you know i'll read the rest of them and let you know what i think overall but this is just a preliminary you know my first impressions of it so far as it's is it's kind of a missed opportunity and again, I will um, uh, be going to see, unless I missed it, but I hope not, um, Casablanca in the theaters when it comes for the one day soon. And uh, you never know, maybe I'll even buy popcorn. It's an AMC theater, so I don't know. Popcorn's got to be a lot by now. I haven't bought popcorn in 10 years in a theater at least. So, oh, they're doing the... Uh, the Talking Dead poll on the Talking Dead, and I actually went on to AMC's website and actually voted on it. So let's see if they uh, picked mine. <laughs> I was tempted to put pick Shoot Shane, but I didn't. Let's see. Oh wait, they're not giving it. I don't think they just gave the question. I don't think they've given the. They're going to give the answer. Oh, darn! But I can't wait for Shane to die in the show. He's the most annoying character in the comics and it makes you want uh, him to die in the series because he's actually way better in the series than he is in the comics but um he's still not that good you know he's you want him to die he and you know what's funny is Lori. i wanted i couldn't wait for her to oh dale horvath is the name of the actor who plays dale or no dale it must be dale horvath must be his character name darn and you know what, I could just, I could so easily look it up, but you know what, uh, you guys can too, so, but he, everyone knows who this guy is, he's a, he's a great character actor, but anyway, that, that's what I'm thinking, oh, and you know what, I just wanted one more thing I had to say, uh, I've been, you know, I pulled out my remake of The Wicker Man the other day, because on another trip to Ohio there, I found this, um, cool old junk store, kind of, in downtown Sandusky, Ohio, and, uh, he had all this really cool old stuff, you know, watches and things, and he had um, arrowheads and stuff, which hopefully maybe one day he'll have something cool rock-wise for my son because he's a huge fan of rock collecting. And uh, he had a, a DVD section, and I think it was $2 for DVDs, so I bought the Anchor Bay's version of The Wicker Man on DVD, and, and I've watched it since, and I really like it. It's a good movie, but... Um, I've heard so much negative about Nicolas Cage's version of the, the Wicker Man. So I got it quite a while ago on DVD for a couple bucks. And uh, it's been, I, I've wanted to watch it. And I've heard, you know, like the outside the cinema guys, you know, they quote it all the time. And uh, so I wanted to see what, what I'm missing, you know, because, you know, a lot of people complain about, Nicolas Cage and I've always been a huge Nicolas Cage fan even back you know I remember him back in Valley Girl I think was one of the first times I saw him and so I I'm always a fan of Nicolas Cage I like his acting I think he's good I like the National Treasure movies even even though no one likes those um I think he's a good actor I think he's a likable guy and on camera and I think he's a 
he's you know he carries a movie to me you know i thought the ghost rider movie was good i haven't seen the second one but um but anyway you know i'm not a huge fan of the character in the comics so you know i i'm sure people who are huge fans of ghost rider may not like the movie necessarily but i thought he was good in it so i i, I pulled out my copy of the wicker man the, the remake the other day and uh, threw it in and I was surprised how how I didn't care for Nicolas Cage in this movie because I love him in everything I see him in, Face Off, and you know, I just like Nicolas Cage, even Con Air, and uh, I just I didn't really care for him and and Wicker Man, and I kept thinking, you know what? I wonder if it's the writing, because it didn't make any sense to me why he was there because he goes to kind of look for the girl, but then he. Um, then he kind of changes and becomes, you know, so I'm on an official investigation and all this, and he becomes kind of, you know, aggressive and, you know, and I haven't finished it yet. I'm about a third of the way through, and it's just, you know, I popped it out because I didn't, I didn't want to finish it, which is funny for me because I usually will sit through anything once I've started it, and uh, I just, I didn't want to watch the rest of it, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to blame, who to blame because, you know, I, I love Nicolas Cage. So it, it can't be his fault because I've seen him in movies that aren't as good necessarily. And I still like him, you know. So I don't know. I don't know who to blame. I, I want to say it's the writing, though, because he says things that seems that sounds silly to me maybe it's not his fault although he's been in other movies that are aren't well written and i still like them but for some reason i don't know I, and then you know what's weird is the the woman who runs the inn in the remake had a big part on um on northern exposure late in the series and so it's like it's weird because it takes me out of the movie because she was really good on Northern Exposure as a as a cop, but uh, who Maurice is hot for, you know. But um, in this movie, it just takes me out of it because I remember her from Northern Exposure. So when she's in, she plays a big part in The Wicker Man, for, you know, of the parts that I saw. Oh, they're showing behind the scenes of Nicotero making up the host of The Talking Dead. Oh, that's cool. Oh, oh, they keep putting contacts in them too. Oh, wow, that's a great job. Yeah, you can't if you can have complaints about night. You can't complain that uh, that the makeup's bad. It makeup's excellent. Oh, wow. But uh, sorry to keep jumping back. But I I I found I wasn't a huge Walking Dead fan of the first season, but the second season's grabbing me more, and I want to get back to reading the comics because I've I've missed a lot I I was reading it religiously for a long time and then you know got expensive and the smart thing is to do the uh the graphic novels plus I've actually been checking out of the library which is even you know it's free unfortunately you know Kirkman and them don't make any money from that but for my budget it's much easier but this um this Wicker Man movie I just uh and it's not grabbing me so far and I hate to say that because I want to be positive and and so far the weakest thing has been Nicolas Cage and I wonder if the writing is just not there you know because he 
like I said, he's it's written and directed by Neil Labute. And uh, it says Robin Hardy, co-creator and director of the original British film, dis- disassociated himself from it. Yeah, I can see that because it's just it's not good so far. And and I love Nicolas Cage, so I don't want to dislike him. I'm going to have to give it another shot. I know. But uh, it's just, oh, it just doesn't grab me in the bees thing. And like Nicolas Cage is running around being attacked by bees and he's allergic and all this. And and like, you know, I like, I was it Next, I think he was in. I like that. And I like, like I said, I like these National Treasure movies. It's like, I, I don't know. Something about this movie just rubbed me the wrong way. I'm going to have to watch it again. And all the way through, because like I said, you know, just like with the Night of the Living Dead, the beginning comics, you know, I can't give a true opinion because I haven't finished it, you know. So I, you know, I probably have no right to comment on on the Wicker Man either. But still, well, it says Cage himself acknowledged that the movie was absurd. He remarked in 2010, "There, are mis- there is a mischievous mind at work on the Wicker Man." You know, this is a quote. You know what I mean? And I finally kind of said, I might have known that the movie was meant to be absurd, but saying that now after the fact is okay. But to say it before the fact is not, because you have to let the movie have its own life. Um, it says it made $32 million overall, making it financially unsuccessful as its cost totaled $40 million. So it cost $40 million to make it and it made 32 million. But there's the the quote I want to see where they say, they're outside the cinema podcast, which is another good podcast. They always quote it as saying, you know, why is it burned or something? They use a they use a clip from the movie. Why is it burned? Why is it burned? And I don't know what that is yet. So I have to finish it just to see that. Richard Roper gave the remake of Wicker Man two thumbs down. Makes you want to like it, eh? The film garnered five Razzie nominations for Worst Picture, Worst Actor, Nicolas Cage, Worst Screenplay, Worst Remake, and Worst On-Screen Couple. Cage in his bear suit. <laughs> so, yeah, people loved him. Rip on stuff, but... And Nicolas Cage is a favorite of people to rip on. So I'll give it another chance, but so far it's gonna. it feels like it's going to be hard to like this one. You know, and I hate to be... Uh, I hate to be negative. They quote Christopher Lee in this article, too, saying uh, uh, he played Lord Summers Isle in the original, and what he said about the remake is what, quote... What do I think of it being played by a woman, his part from the original? When it was played by a man in 72 as part of a Scottish pagan community and now it's played by a woman with the same name, what do I think of it? Nothing. There's nothing to say. <laughs> End quote. That's by Christopher Lee. What a cool guy. <laughs> oh boy. Well, you know, I'm going to watch. I'm going to finish it eventually and then I'll I'll let you know what I think. But... Um, I'm not looking forward to it at this point, you know, I'd much rather watch National Treasure first, the first one or second one, you know, because uh, those I like actually. But anyway, with, anyway, with that, uh, Christopher Lee, great quote, I will wrap it up and say, uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Dark Room Podcast. If you have any comments or suggestions or uh, you want to set me straight on something, email is thedarkroompodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, I'll see you in the dark room. It might be a good idea for you to disappear from Casablanca for a while. There's a free French garrison over at Brazzaville. 
I could be induced to arrange a passage. My letter of transit? I could use a trip. But it doesn't make any difference about our bet. You still owe me 10,000 francs. And that 10,000 francs should pay our expenses. Our expenses? Mm-hmm. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.